0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today is Friday, November 3rd. My name is Chris Crawford. I am joined today by my good buddy, Ryan Boyer we got a jam-packed show for you. We've got a couple of headlines. We're going to be going over some players who we think stock rose from their strong play in the postseason, but I think we have to start with um, a little event came to a conclusion on, Ryan, uh, a little thing that we call the fall classic. (laughs) Someday I feel like it's going to be the winter classic, if I'm being completely honest with you, but uh, fall classic for now. Uh, Congrats to the Texas Rangers for winning the World Series, four games to one. Congrats as well to the Arizona Diamondbacks who made it just like everybody thought they would. Everybody projected them to steamroll through this postseason, and of course they did. Um, Ryan, I thought that the LCS series were pretty good. Everything in between was not exactly my favorite postseason, if I'm being honest. Where would you side on this thing?
2: Yeah, it wasn't exactly the most compelling World Series, both in terms of, if we're being honest, the matchup and Mm – just the quality of the, not necessarily the quality, but just the competitive competitiveness sure. of the games.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, there was some drama in the in the first game. Sure. Um, with the that was that was a great moment with the the Rangers comeback win. Diamondbacks were that close to winning the first two games of the series, yeah. um, but then it all came crumbling down after that. Yeah, congrats I'm, to the Rangers. They get the get the monkey off their back. I know you don't want to you don't want to hear that as a as a Mariners fan, but yeah. <laughs> your, time, your time is coming.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: Rangers had their uh, had their World Series parade today. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe made headlines for uh, I saw chugging a beer and then taking his shirts off, which included a mock turtleneck um, and Corey Seager also made headlines for yes. throwing some shade on um,
1: Mr. Bregman.
2: Yeah. Alex yeah. Bregman and the Astros kind of repeating what Bregman said after the, after they clinched the, the AL West. So I, I thought that was a nice little dig from a guy who not known for his uh, spicy commentary. In no, the
1: media, Mr. Seager. No, he's honestly, Corey Seager might be the most boring superstar in baseball, to be honest with you. Like yeah. he's just not a guy who, and that's not an insult. It's not a compliment per se either. It's just it is what it is. He's a guy who does not exactly um, have a lot of spicy content to be put out there. What he is, though, is a really good baseball player. And you know, you can talk about uh, that. You know, Arizona's done a, or excuse me, Arizona's done a great job too. But Texas has done a great job with player development with drafting. They have always been excellent at scouring the international market, and you see a lot of those players helping them. But where is this team without spending that $500 million on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager? And Ryan, I just wonder how many teams are going to take note of this. How many teams are going to say, look at what happens when you add superstar talent, even when, like, look, this is a team that lost over 100 games a couple years ago. This is a team that ended up getting the fourth pick, I believe, in last year's draft. And White Langford, and there's a very good chance that Wyatt Langford is helping Texas next year. He is that good of a talent. But like, look at what those free agent signings did for them and how much that cut down the rebuild of that team. Do you think teams are going to take a lesson from this, or are they going to be more along the lines of that, look at what happened here, an 84-1 team went to the World Series?
2: Gosh, I hope they take notes. I mean, I loved uh, I love Chris Young's quote with uh, – I don't know if he this he said that, said this uh, like over the offseason or if it was a more recent quote, but uh, either way, it was regurgitated recently when he said, if you think you have a good team, add to it. It's good that you have a good team, but just keep adding. And obviously they did that, and I didn't have a real – rooting interest in the World Series, but I was, I must say, happy to see the team that was aggressive, particularly with their spending, be rewarded for it. Um I also, you know, you know, an 84 win team winning the World Series, eh, Yeah, I would I would have, have certainly would have had less of a problem with that than um than I would have been, you know, being happy that the team that spent money was rewarded for winning. It's
1: a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's lots of ways to build a team. I just hope more teams look at what happens when you spend money on elite talents. And look, a lot of people gave that Marcus Simeon contract a hard time. You know, is it fair to say that we'll see what happens in a couple of years with it? Sure. But it doesn't replace what he's done for them the last two seasons. And especially this year, that home run basically put that game away. I will say, as a Mariner fan who loves Paul Sewald, I hated how that World Series ended for him. Didn't pitch yeah. well in Game 1. Game 5, you know, didn't pitch. It's not the reason they lost, but it's kind of the reason why uh, they were out of that game in the ninth inning, unfortunately, with giving up those four runs. Um, but I think Arizona has a lot to look forward to in this upcoming year, and uh, upcoming years maybe the best young talent in baseball and Corbin Carroll, a ton of other really intriguing young talents, some good starting pitching. It's a team that's going to be – here's the thing I keep thinking about with Arizona, Ryan. I think that there's a chance that Arizona could be a better team in 2024 and not have nearly the same success. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, as we know, the, the, the playoffs are – Something of a crapshoot. And That's even crazy. if Arizona just barely obviously squeaked into the playoffs sure. to begin with. Um what are the what are the Dodgers gonna look like mm. next season? Um or can the Padres bounce back? I mean, that division has some has some has some meat on the bone. Are the the, the Giants we hear are gonna spin big this offseason?
1: The Rockies are also a team. The Rockies
2: are also there, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the Rangers, man, eleven and zero on the road. This post- that's incredible. Yeah, like if if ever there was a an example of home field advantage in baseball, doesn't really matter that much. I mean, just look at the fact that the Rangers went undefeated on the road, won the title. The team that. Everyone viewed as having the real, the most home field advantage at their park. And the Phillies lost Game Six and Seven of the NLCS at
1: home. Great call. It
2: doesn't really matter that much. I mean, if my team is in the playoffs and you gave me the choice of them playing at home or on the road in a winner take all game, I'm I'm going to pick at home. But it's just doesn't really all matter
1: all that much. And it's why. And I talked about this with Drew. I would not mind having neutral World Series. I would not mind having the World Series being played at a neutral park. There is something to be said about earning the right to be playing those games at your home. It's kind of a celebration for their thing. But I think you see, this is the one sport where I think the home field advantage means the least. It's nice to have, you know, from a a comfort thing. You know, I think if you ask the Rangers, hey would you like to play a globe wife or go somewhere? They're probably going to tell you that they'd prefer to be at the tractor supply store than they would be playing somebody somewhere else. But it's just, you know, there's just not as much of a, a rule. And in fact, sometimes I think the road team can have a big advantage of if you can go up there and you can put up like a three or four spot in that first inning. Yeah. They get the same chance to get that three or four spot. There's something about that. Having that deficit changes how you play those games Sometimes I think it can be a little bit of an advantage to be the team that bats first. I would not mind if they made a uh, a rule where like the home team gets to decide who bats first. You know what I mean? Like, And they'd probably all choose to bat second because you want the bottom of the ninth or whatever and know what you have to have. But it's like, hey, I've been watching Deion Sanders elect to go uh, on offense the first time through these overtimes and been pretty curious about it. And maybe you want to do the same thing. By the way, uh, changing the subject, Grant Brisby just sent me a message and said that this podcast should be called Boyer and the Boyer, uh, Borer, excuse me. Uh, and I am heated. I hate Grant Brisby. I hate the San Francisco Giants. I hate everything he likes. I hope that Wilco breaks up. And uh, yeah, that wasn't very nice, Ryan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. I, I, I will say on a going back to something you said earlier, our mm-hmm. commissioner might disagree with you about Corey Seager being the most boring superstar. He he went very public with his his concerns about Mister uh, Mister Trout um, a couple years ago. Mm. But you know, what are you gonna do? What are you? Uh, Man- Rob Manfred has um, some other issues. I guess we're yeah. gonna. Find out, I guess we're gonna find out at these at these GM meetings. They're gonna go over other potential rule changes and all that coming up next week. So we'll find out if there's a lot of, a lot of complaints about the, is the rest period too long, which
1: is just, it's just silly to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Um, It'll be curious to see if anything comes of this stuff. I imagine it won't, especially after making a bunch of rule changes to begin this year, but you know, the, the floodgates have been open. It is, I guess, time that you can discuss that type of stuff Uh, you mentioned the words what are you going to do let's talk about some headlines and let's start about what are the Dodgers going to do because Clayton Kershaw underwent surgery Friday to repair the gleno I believe that's how you say it gleno humeral ligaments and capsule in his left shoulder the hope is that he's going to return at some point next summer it's worth pointing out that Clayton Kershaw is now 35 years old it's never great to have a shoulder surgery at any age the age of thirty five, I think it's a little bit more problematic. This is a pretty big loss for a team that I think has pretty significant starting pitching issues in in general anyway, even when you don't consider the Clayton Kershaw news.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's uh, I guess if you want to take a, a silver lining if there is one away from this, it's that Kershaw intends to keep pitching and not retire. If, yeah if his shoulder if he makes the necessary recovery from his shoulder surgery, I I know he had kind of been cagey about whether he was going to come back next year. I I don't know how his, his contract situation is going to, is going to work out now. I I mean, pretty vague timetable that he provided. He he broke the news himself on Instagram, I believe. That's right. Um, And I wonder how many times he had to, you think he copy and pasted the Gloomio,
1: whatever? <laughs> I'd like to think so.
2: Yeah. Um, he probably had to copy and paste uh, Dr. Neil Atrache, <laughs> is the, so whatever that that his name was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he was, I forget what he made this year. Was it like 18 million, 20 million on a one year deal? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, he's. It sounds like the second half is when he's would come back if if he comes back at all next season. Right. I, I'm guessing the Dodgers and Kershaw will work out a two year deal, which mm-hmm. is going to essentially be a one year deal, and he can hopefully come back in 2025. Um, you know, you mentioned any shoulder surgery, not good. Right. I feel like we talk about Kershaw like he's like 40, like he's quote-unquote only 35. Yeah, He came up early. Yeah. He's got a lot of mileage on that arm, a lot of mileage on that back. He's had back issues. I mean, he was really good this year when mm-hmm. on the mound. But we saw the, the warning signs down the stretch after he came back from the shoulder injury. The results in September were still pretty good, but mm-hmm. this stuff just didn't look that good. The velocity was down. He was he lasted one out in his lone yep. postseason start. Got charged with six runs. So I, I don't know. It's pretty remarkable. I think. I mean, his velocity has been turning in the wrong direction direction for years now, but he still remained extremely effective when on the mound. Right and kind of defied the odds majorly in that regard. Um, but now you throw in a shoulder surgery into the mix, uncertain timetable. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to be taking him in any fantasy leagues next year. No. Um, I think the major thing is just what it means for both his career. And as you mentioned, the Dodgers, I mean, they're, They also declined uh, Lance Lynn's option as well, so that's another spot in the rotation they have to fill. Um, They have a couple guys, a couple younger guys that they really like Mm -hmm. for good reason, and Walker Walker Bueller will come back in 2024. What kind of workload is he going to be able to handle on his second Tommy John that he's coming back from? Um, So we we heard again from Ken Rosenthal today that they're going to be the favorites for Otani and yes i don't doubt that report at all but Otani's can't pitch in 2024 and the Dodgers really need starting pitching so i mean they're going to have to if they should sign Otani i mean i don't know are they just prepared to blow pa- past that luxury tax threshold and spend a lot more money on pitching i know they got I believe they got below it for the first time in a while this year. Um, Didn't do much last off season. And many people were speculating that that was due due to the fact that they were ready to make a a run, a run at Otani this off season. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they're, we know they can get more out of pitchers than a lot of organizations. So maybe it would work out for them, not, spending a ton, but that's kind of what they did this year. And they were kind of rotation issues off and on for them throughout the throughout the year. So going to be interesting to track their, their hot stove action.
1: Yeah, for sure. And look, we won't go deep into what happened with Julio Arias, but that is obviously one of the main reasons why that they have these uh, rotation issues, the return of Bueller. I mean, it certainly sounds like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. You just kind of assume You know, that, hey, if he was maybe almost ready to pitch in uh, September, maybe he's got to be ready for that. But, you know, you have to watch for setbacks for that type of stuff. It'll be really interesting to see if this was a – and I'm glad it's not a salary cap league. It'd be a fascinating situation to watch what the Dodgers did if they had an actual real cap for what they can do. But the fact that they have more money than God and more – so much uh, the fact that they didn't hit the luxury tax figure this year I imagine they'll be aggressive and can get pretty much any starter they want on top of getting Otani. I'm not saying it's a lock they get Otani, by the way, but I'd be surprised if he played anywhere else. It just makes so much sense. A uh Shohei, um, Seattle dogs are delicious. I can tell you all about the great cuisine. Hey, he's all constantly here. They people find him at the airport in Seattle all the time. I'd love it to happen. I'm not getting my hopes up. I refuse to get my hopes up. Uh, speaking of Seattle, a former Seattle legend probably is too strong of a word, but a strong player for them, a strong player for quite a few teams has announced his retirement, Nelson Cruz. Now, Cruz really hasn't been fantasy relevant over the last couple of years, but has had a really strong career, Ryan, 464 homers. I think the answer to this question is an easy yes, if not for a performance-enhancing drug Suspension. Nelson Cruz, a Hall of Famer.
2: Yeah, I mean that's gonna that'll keep him him out by itself, right there. I mean, you look at the the other the other guys have been kept out because of that. I mean, they and their resumes stack up better than than his. But really remarkable career. I mean, he reached the majors. I think at twenty six or something. But he was he was old old ish. And kept playing until he was 43. I mean, I know the last two years didn't go as well as – I mean, it, we we saw signs of him kind of declining a little bit in that second half um, for the Rays. Kudos to the Twins, by the way, getting Joe Ryan in that, in that trade. Great trade. Great trade. Um, and you know, Cruz, rather bizarrely, I thought, went to the Nationals the year after that. Yeah. Everyone assumed he'd go to a contender. He did not do that, and he did go to a potential contender this year for a one-year, one, $1 million-dollar deal. Yeah, didn't work out. Wound up being released. Sounds like he's going to play in the Dominican Winter League. Get get his uh, his his native native Dominicans one last look before he hangs up just his cleats.
1: But just a highlight of a double today.
2: Nice, but yeah, great career for Nelson Cruz, um, a fantasy fantasy monster for so many years and for so long defied the defied the aging curve, but it eventually eventually caught up to him at forty three. By the way,
1: yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, the crazy thing about him was two thousand fifteen is when things just kind of really escalated. He was a solid player before he got to Seattle. But 2015 to 2021 with the Mariners twins and a brief little mention with the Rays, 286, 364, 553. That's a 917 OPS, 252 homers. Say what you will about RBI, but 641 runs driven in during that time. Uh, Also stole 10 bases. (laughs) I think, you know, what's funny is the highlight I will probably remember Nelson Cruz most for for his career is a screw up. Him trying to steal that base against the uh, against Puerto Rico is still one of the most surprising things, and also one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Javi Elmago placing that tag down on him and doing the celebration like before the ball even gets there is one of the coolest things. I was at that game in San Diego, and that was just man, the World Baseball Classic. I wish we could have it every like year, honestly. And I get you want to have spacing for it because you know it adds to the. to the pomp and circumstance of it. And I think after some injuries, maybe some folks would prefer this event to never happen ever, ever again. New York Met fans, we regret the air. But yeah, I think Nelson Cruz, I honestly think Cruz will get in someday as well as Robinson Cano, but it's going to be a veterans committee type of thing where we just kind of say, steroids are steroids. They, They happened. There's nothing we can really do about it. They're not the reason that these players were great. They were certainly against the rules and we have to punish them, but they got their punishment. Their punishment were season-long suspensions or half of a year of suspension for some of these guys. That's your punishment. You know, I don't think – you cannot tell the story of baseball without players like Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz. And I think that's the reason why these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm a little hypocritical here because I don't think Pete Rose should ever step foot in the Hall of Fame, and you cannot tell the story without him either. But that's just so different to me, Ryan. It's, It's so different to me to have that type of impact on the game, the betting side compared to performance enhancing drugs.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think once the more youthful electorate for the the hall of fame gets, starts slowly, but surely taking over. Yeah. Um, guys like maybe like Nelson Cruz, certainly Barry Bonds uh, will eventually, will eventually get in. But by the way, I thought you were going to go a different direction when you said, uh, the highlight that was a mess up for him. I mean, the highlight for me of Nelson Cruz's career was him attempting to go after that David Freeze triple in game six of the 2011 World Series. I I will say, by the way, I feel like he actually gets a little too much flack for that because that would have been a a really difficult catch. He just just made it look really bad (laughs) because he had – like a, a good outfielder maybe makes that catch sure he just ha- had no chance at it and aw- very awkwardly made an attempt at it yeah uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's definitely the uh the highlight that comes to mind for me but but you know the rangers yeah you know
1: exercising demons kind of,
2: yeah kind of kind of puts a nice little bow on it that Nelson Cruz part of the uh The team that everybody thought was going to win in 2011, and now he retires, and the Rangers finally get that World Series ring, so good for them, good and good for Nelson Cruz on a fantastic career.
1: Absolutely fantastic career. All right, we're going to talk about some players that we thought improved their postseason or improved their stock because of the postseason, but first we're going to take a very quick commercial break.
0: Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion with over 200 patents and easy on easy off technology. You'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt for a limited time. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com
1: socks. All right, we're back. And let's take a look at some of those risers. And I think, look, you can get dangerous with this stuff. I think that uh, just taking credence in postseason, guys who had bad regular seasons and all of a sudden turn it on the postseason, you know you could take something from that. It's a friendly reminder that these guys have a chance to be successful and they're reminders of talent. But you don't want to go too overboard. I think people have a tendency to go too overboard with this stuff in the other sports, to be honest, because baseball's such a long sport. We kind of, you know, know that guys can struggle in the postseason or vice versa, you know, have bad regular seasons and start. In football, we go nuts with these things. In basketball, I remember a guy named Jerome James for the Sonics, who everybody all of a sudden fell in love with over six games and got like a $70 million contract from the Knicks. I just wanted to bring up the Sonics. I miss them very much, Ryan, and the NBA season has started. But I think we have kind of um, an idea of what guys are going to do. That being said, there were some guys who I think really did impress and I think improved their fantasy stock. And why don't you start with Nathan Eovaldi? Because I think that's the one who probably saw his stock rise the most this October.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, the reason I, one of the reasons I did not pick the Rangers to advance past the first round, I mean, (laughs) great pick, Ryan, um, was because I had I had no idea what they were going to get out of their rotation. And right. Evaldi was the main reason for that. Like he was – he missed a large chunk of the sec- second half. When he was healthy, he did not pitch well. The velocity was down. He wasn't going deep into starts. I mean, we had no idea what to expect um, from him going into this postseason. I mean, maybe – Maybe his postseason track record. We should have given him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. I mean, we didn't know what his health was going to be. We didn't know if the velocity was ever going to come back. But I mean, he was just fantastic in the playoffs. Uh, two nine five ERA, forty to ten strikeout to walk rate right in sixty or thirty six and in two thirds innings. Five out of six quality starts. He had one so-so start in, the first, in game one of the World Series. Uh, right. Otherwise, was just fantastic. I mean, that last start, he <laughs> what, He walked five guys and gave up at least four hits, something like that, in uh, his six shutout innings, but somehow just kept dodging those raindrops time and time right. again. And yeah. eventually the – Eventually, that. Meanwhile, while Zach Gallon was was flirting with a no hitter. By the way,
1: yeah, he was uh, right, man.
2: Yeah, and Rangers offense eventually, eventually caught fire and the rest is history. But yeah, Nathan Nathan, Nathan Ivaldi is never going to be a workhorse, especially now that he's in his mid thirties. He's never thrown two hundred innings in a season, and the one time he got close, I think, was like two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. So he's just not going to make thirty starts. Um, He's going to be a so-so source of strikeouts, but you know I I I believe in him at this point to to pitch well while while he's healthy. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last. Obviously, he's going to have a good offense backing him again next season. He's got good control. He's going to be a a good source of whip. He's Again, the strikeouts aren't going to be great, but they're going to be good enough, should be. And wins are a stat, too. He should be able to pick up. He picked up five wins, by the way, in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, wins are a stat, too, in fantasy, as hard as they might be to predict. But, you know, he, sh- he should be a guy who could should pick up a decent number for the Rangers next year. And if anything else, he gave me some way more comfort than I had in him at the end of the regular season, that's for
1: sure. 100%, yeah. He looked kind of lost at the end of the year, and that was, again, I understood why people were not confident in Texas. You know, they literally backed into the postseason after leading that division for so long. Seattle takes a little bit of a lead. It's kind of funny. I think Houston only led that division for like one day, uh, but and of course, the Alex Bregman comments end up being a little funnier because of that. But yeah, I I really like Iovaldi for next year, and you know, like, he's entering his mid-30s, but... At the age of 34, I think there's still a lot of time left for him to be a quality starting pitcher. And I think he hit the nail on the head, too, with the win chances. Texas is going to be awesome next year. That's a really good baseball team. You're going to see the guys like we didn't mention Adolis Garcia, who obviously I don't think his stock went super up, but had a fantastic postseason. Uh, we also don't have Evan Carter on this list, who I think probably sees his stock rise as well um, after just being dominant, and then you've got guys like Wyatt Langford on top of having some absolute superstar bats. But yeah, long story short, Nathan Eovaldi, as long as he's able to stay on the mound, is going to have a chance to win a lot of games. Uh, I'm going to go with Royce Lewis, and it was one of the shorter stays, but it was one of the more impressive that I saw. He ended up hitting four home runs in that postseason, only a 227 average, but a 346 on base percentage, a 773 slugging percentage and anybody who watched Royce Lewis during that wild card round and in that ALDS if you didn't come away thinking that guy's a future superstar we have very different wavelengths of rights. like that is that guy's got a chance and look first overall pick I did I think he was the best player in that draft I did not I thought it was Hunter Green but hey I think Royce Lewis is a better player than Hunter Green at this point all due respect to Hunter Green um That guy's got a chance. He's always had the talent, and we are seeing when he's on the field that this is not a a work-in-progress type of thing. When he's been on the field, he's been dominant, and when he was on the field in the postseason for the Twins, those four homers against good baseball teams in the postseason is a pretty good indicator of what this guy can be. I know I'm going to be overdrafting Royce Lewis in every league that I'm in because I am going to have so much FOMO of missing out on Royce Lewis – that chance to be that infielder who can give you 30, maybe even more homers and steal 15 to 20 bases with a decent average. I think Royce Lewis is a star. And I think what you saw in October was a pretty good indicator of why.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's all gonna come down to health with him, I yep. think. Like he's just a unfortunately, you know, he's torn the ACL twice. He Dealt with some hamstring issues down the stretch and had to had to DH in the in the postseason as well because the hamstring still wasn't up to up to 100. percent But I mean he 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 looks like a superstar. I mean he looks speaking, we talked earlier about Corey Seager being a boring superstar. Royce Lewis looks like a guy that could be very marketable for yes. MLB, by the way. Great call. Good looking dude, great smile, just a really exciting player. I mean, he, he would be it would be awesome if he could take off next year and stay healthy. Um, he's, I think it all comes down to health with him. If he if he stays healthy, he's going to be outstanding. I am happy that he's going to – it sounds like they're going to pretty much stick him at third base probably next year too and just kind of leave him alone. I think that's probably the move. 100%. Just kind of give him one spot to play, focus on, on keeping those legs healthy yep. and just continue to
1: mash and you have Carlos Correa next to him, that's going to be somebody who can take some of the pressure off of him making too many plays to his left and right. That can be a very uh, nasty infield for sure. For sure.
2: Another guy who who mashed in the, in the playoffs, uh, Gabriel Moreno. He did struggle a little bit in the World Series, but four home runs in the playoffs overall. Also was moved up to the third spot in the lineup for the Diamondbacks. I'm going to be interested to see if that, carries over into the next season, because that would be a huge boost to his fantasy stock. This all kind of started like in July, actually, for him. He was first few months of the season not playing that well. There was a stretcher where he was actually Carson Kelly was getting more run at the catcher than him. And But then July on, he really took off 317, 396, 500 slash line, just five home runs in those forty-eight games um, from July on. I think that's why it was so encouraging to see this kind of little mini power outburst in the postseason. Because I think that might be the only thing that could hold him back from being, you know, just a, a stud. Mm-hmm. Going to have high contact rates. I think he's going to hit for average, especially when you consider he's a catcher. Um, and the counting stats could look pretty darn good. Certainly, if he stays in that three spot and the power coming along certainly came along in the postseason. If he can be a 20 homer guy, um, I think he's just going to be a without question, a slam dunk top five, top three catcher at the going into 2024.
1: Yeah. It was really encouraging to see him play like the, cause look, this was a guy who was considered a top five prospect at this point last year, you know, Showed flashes of brilliance in 2022. It's worth pointing out 2022, there was some injury stuff, but he just didn't drive the baseball at all. the The bat-to-ball skills were readily apparent. The defensive skills, by the way, he is getting just better and better defensively, which is a positive sign to see for sure. Definitely not a future DH type, which, you know, he has to be a catcher if we're being completely honest with you. If Gabriel Moreno was a first baseman, a third baseman, a left fielder, probably not talking a whole heck of a lot about him in terms of fantasy, even with that plus-plus hit tool. There's just not enough pop there. But if we're talking about him being even a 15-homer guy, Ryan, and a chance to drive in 65 to 70 runs with guys like Cattell Marte, who, by the way, I think saw his stock go up as well in this postseason. He was outstanding. Congratulations to him, another former Mariner. Uh, But real quick, I asked uh, Drew this question. Who wins this trade? Mitch Hanniger, uh, and a bit the Gene Segura and Ketel Marte, uh, Mitch Haniger trade. Who wins that one?
2: Um, is that a trick question?
1: Uh, well, the Diamondbacks probably have to win it because they are the one team that had him like a thing, but like Mitch Haniger was has had the best seasons of those players, yeah. I think. Like, that's an interesting one, I think. And Taiwan Walker, a nice little player as well. Gene Segura's had some really good seasons as well. It's an interesting one to look back on, I think. But I don't think the Diamondbacks regret it, that's for sure, because uh, yep. they have a really, really nice thing in uh, in Cattell Marte and a really nice thing in Gabriel Moreno, not the last Diamondback that we're going to be talking about. Uh, Ranger Suarez, and look, this has been true for the last couple of postseasons, I think. I have been drafted Ranger Suarez a lot higher than everybody else. I think that this might be the turning corner, and he was so good in this postseason. He's been so good in the postseasons before. The reason why I'm more high on Ranger Suarez now, and he's shown he can do it, and I think he showed what he could really do in the postseason especially, I think he's got kind of a rotation spot locked up. Like, especially if, even if Aaron Nola comes back, I think Ranger Suarez is your third starter. There's been some like weird stuff with Ranger Suarez where he just really hasn't had that opportunity to be that guy. I think what he did in this postseason has kind of cemented that he's in that area. And we talk about win chances. I think Philadelphia is going to be my favorite to win it all next year. Even if they don't bring back uh, Aaron Nola, there's just so much to like about that team. I imagine they'll be aggressive, because they always are and they'll get another really good player to be if they have to replace Nola, they'll get another nice starter they'll probably get some nice bullpen arms there's just a lot to like about that team and i was so impressed with what i saw from ranger suarez this postseason and last postseason and you know he wasn't bad in the regular season this year it just wasn't like an elite type of year that you were maybe thinking a breakout party i'm predicting the breakout party happens in 2024
2: it could very well i mean he the most encouraging thing I, I think is, is we saw his velocity tick up. Um, you know, that can be an adrenaline thing, uh, you know, going into the especially the raucous crowd at, at Citizens Bank Park. But mm-hmm. I mean, if he can consistently hit 95, 96 to go with his ground ball tendencies, sure. I mean, he really only needs to miss as many. Ground balls as he gets. He he really only needs to strike out a batting per inning ish. Yep. Framer Valdez is probably the guy he needs needs to kind of be his north star. I mean, there you go. Get a bunch of ground balls. Get a a good not elite strikeout rate. Um, I think that's a good a good guy to shoot for for uh for Ranger Suarez. And as you mentioned, you know, lots of win potential on the Phillies. He's keeps getting built up. He could potentially go maybe 200-ish innings. If he pitches deep into games, he's going to get a lot of run support on that team. Um, this other guy, I don't know if he's going to pitch terribly deep into games, mm. but really like what we saw from Brandon Fott in the playoffs. Agreed. Um, I mean, he was, I feel like maybe unfairly, um, maybe one of our most hyped Prospects coming up this season just because everybody looked at those minor league numbers from last year and was like, whoa, look at, I mean, this guy was, he led the minors in strikeouts, just absolutely diamond, dominant numbers. Didn't go great when he came up. Um, he did show some flashes in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, two out of his last three starts were, were quite good. Really pitched well in the playoffs. His, his last couple of playoff starts were just eh. But overall, super encouraging stuff. Three point two seven ERA, twenty six to five strikeout to walk rate in twenty two innings over those five postseason starts. Really paired the the high fastball with the sleep the sweeper the sleeper. Um, I mean, we might as well throw out another term. Why not, Chris? <laughs> I, saw, I saw, by the way, that speaking of which, uh, kind of an aside here, but. Andre Pallante working at not Driveline, but one of those places on a death ball. He was, they were calling it nice. Uh, so that's going to be the new, death ball, is the new, the new <laughs> sweeper calling it now. Uh, but getting back to Brandon Fott, um, you know, he's going to have a rotation spot locked up going into next season now. Oh, yeah. You know, the Diamondback Stadium, I, I think, has a reputation still maybe of being hitter-friendly, but it's really not that
1: hitter-friendly anymore. Pretty neutral.
2: Um, so I don't think – I mean, FOT does have home run issues, so that could be – if he's going to be pitching in a hitter-friendly park, that could be a problem, but it's not really as hitter-friendly, certainly not as hitter-friendly as it used used to be with the humidor and and everything. Um, but if he can get the home runs – at least to a digestible level. Um, I think he's going to miss bats. Um, and, you know, the Diamondbacks, as you mentioned, it's possible that they have a better regular season but don't advance as far in the playoffs next year. Sure. Um, but I think they're going to definitely be able to support him with uh, giving them run support where he can pick up a good a good number of wins. Um, I suspect the Diamondbacks will be – fairly aggressive this offseason. I mean, what other incentive do you need to, to be aggressive by when you see the team make a run like that? So get another bat or two to, to give it give him some more run support. And Brandon Potts is definitely going to miss bats. Just keep the home runs down to a, a decent level, and I think he's potential breakout in, in Arizona next year.
1: I totally agree. I was so impressed with what I saw from him in the postseason. And, you know, you take a look at like the pitch tracking, like he got lit up on his fastball. The like, expected slugging percentage was 548, the actual slugging was 650. Like, so there wasn't, wasn't bad luck, they were hitting his fastball hard. Um, but his sweeper batting average allowed of 0.180, expected batting average 0. 0.181. Like, that is a legitimate pitch, um, that can get hitters out right now. We, I mean, we saw it. Curveball expected batting average was 183, actual batting average of 294. I think he's going to have to use that pitch a little bit more. But the big thing for me was this changeup because hitters hit 409 and slugged 727 against it. That's really bad. His whiff percentage was over 33. That's really good. So it's just a matter I think of, and he gets good extension, so he should get more chance to feel – it's just not hanging that pitch as often as he did. Because when he hung it, they hit it really, really hard. But if you can get a 33% swinging percentage of misses on that pitch like he did, he's got a chance to be really good. My concern with Brandon Fott was we have seen lots of pitchers like him that put up big strikeout numbers, but it's more based on deception and command than about pure stuff. But I think his stuff took a de- like that next level up. That's why I'm excited for him. Um, coming into the year, because I think it's not unheard of at all for pitchers of his experience length. It's not the most common thing, but a lot of guys see their stuff improve and their command also improve with it. You sure. think of it the other way around. You usually think stuff starts to wane as they get older, but it's not unheard of, especially nowadays with how much advanced analytics we have and how much better training is nowadays. I thought Brandon Fat made a huge step forward. I mean, he was a guy that I was Just being honest with you, I liked him a lot coming into the year. He was a top 30 prospect on my system, but I was targeting hitters against him at one point because he just could not keep the ball in the park. I was really impressed. I would say he's probably – the breakout star of the postseason, to be honest with you. Like, those of you who didn't get a chance to watch Corbin Carroll, I can't imagine too many of you who are listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast didn't get a chance to see a lot of Corbin Carroll. But you might not have gotten a chance to see Brandon Fought very much this year. I think he was kind of the breakout star. Like I said as well, Evan Carter absolutely saw his stock increase. Um, I'll be really curious to see where Evan Carter is going to go in drafts next year, Ryan. Because... yeah he's sitting second or third in that lineup next year with a chance to drive in those type of guys, top 100 pick? He could be. I mean, uh, I was
2: surprised that he showed as much pop as he did, too. I mean, we, right. we we constantly heard about how good the play discipline was, and that certainly carried over. But, I mean, he, he's got legitimate pop, too, for a, a guy who's still – Growing into his body, I mean, he could still get, and I'm sure will get stronger. Um, but you combine that play discipline with burgeoning pop and great team context. And yeah, that mean, especially if you mentioned, as you mentioned, if he hits in the top third of that lineup, I mean, that's that's pretty sexy.
1: That just popped into my very recently new bald noggin. What if Evan Carter is hitting leadoff against right-handed pitching? And I think I'd be pretty tempted to put him there because you go Evan Carter, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Adolis Garcia. Holy so, crap. What these yeah, that is a lot to like. You got guys like Josh Young, who I think was pretty darn solid in this postseason. And you saw a chance for him to be a very strong, maybe not spectacular, but strong fantasy option I I think the Rangers have a chance to do something pretty special here. Like, it would not shock me at all if we're talking about a team. And I like their manager, too. I wonder how long Bruce Bochy's going to stick around. Maybe, Ryan, you've heard the term punchable face. Is Bruce Bochy's face the most unpunchable in baseball? That is the most friendly-looking guy in all of baseball, I think. I can't think of anybody who looks more friendly.
2: He's got – it's kind of almost too bad that he doesn't have a punchable face because there's so much acreage there. I mean, you couldn't miss. You would not
1: miss. He would not miss. Did you notice that uh, when they were handing out those hats, by the way, in those last few series, that Bruce Bochy was not wearing any of those uh, special hats? His,
2: I, I, I saw a, a tweet later. I guess they had to get him like a special one. It, it, an eight and one-eighth is the size of his hat.
0: Oh, like it's
2: well, there's got to be some kind of uh, medical term for that, isn't there? Like, it, I, it's,
1: it's called that's it's, abnormally large. It's called Kevin Mench syndrome. A few of us suffer from it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the Texas Rangers should have a lot of big old hats ready for him. Kevin Mench is still the biggest noggin I've ever seen, like, like. That was Mega Mind before Mega Mind became a thing is what Kevin Bench was. God bless him. But that was an awfully large noggin. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. A weird way to end it, but that's kind of just the way we do things around here. You can follow me on whatever they call that website at Crawford underscore M I L B. You can follow Ryan at Ryan P Boyer. Make sure you're following all of our socials, uh, checking out, uh, new episodes every week. Uh, a lot of really good stuff coming up. We'll be sure to preview the the offseason. It's going to be a fascinating one. I, as much as I was intrigued by the Aaron Judge stuff, it pales in comparison to Otani. It is going to be the most fascinating offseason thing probably to honestly to show my age since Reggie White became a free agent. I have not been this intrigued by who is going to get a player in a long, long time. Oh, yeah, there was that LeBron James guy too. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.